Hello, everybody. Welcome to Keys to ESP. This is episode two. Welcome uh, to our podcast uh, about Keyforge the card game. Uh, once again, this is John. I am here joined by the Canadian Grand Championships top four, Benson. Hello. We have Ottawa top four, Dennis. Hey. And we got Albany Vault Tour top 32, Josh. Hello. So this has been um, uh, a week since our last recording. Um, we've been playing a bit more Keyforge, or at least some of us have been doing that. Um, so how have you guys been so far today, guys? Or at least for this past week with Keyforge? Uh, pretty good. Craving some deck openings. Hopefully I can get a hold of some. So I really want to open decks. <laughs> nice. Is there is there like a shortage or something? Um, our LGS is just not ordering anything because of the pandemic. <laughs> oh man! All right, that sucks. Hopefully, you get more stock in then. All right. So, how about uh, Josh? Have you been doing any KeyForge playing or anything like that? Yeah, I actually got on the TCO. It's been about two, three months since I started playing. Um, for those that don't know, it's the Crucible Online. It's like a, it's a software that you can play on the browser um for keyforge and i played like what arguably was my best deck and i accidentally hit played it on casual and some people got pretty mad but it's all good i won <laughs> um but apart from that <laughs> i've been making um youtube videos so i've been posting regularly i think every two three days or so uh i'm just gonna plug myself right now Joe Dobby KF, J O D O B B I K F. Um, and that's mainly what I've been doing, not necessarily playing. Cool. So if anybody on uh, TCO or sees you, they'll find you, and on YouTube, they'll uh, go ahead and get more content from you, huh? Yeah, man. Circle of life. <laughs> All right. How about you, Benson? Have you been uh, doing anything on uh, Keyforge related for the past week? Uh, the only thing has been uh, the reps uh, DC trades that I got in from last Tuesday. Uh, but otherwise, uh, it's been a slow week on Keyforge. Um, so just like Joe Dobby, I'm working on a few things in the back end. Nothing to plug myself yet, but hopefully in the works. Um, right. And yeah, but hopefully with the discussion, it's just uh, this is my Keyforge time now. Awesome. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I mean, if you guys haven't heard, uh, there was a, apparently a Crucible cast that came out, um, I think last, was it last week or so? Yeah, actually last week. Um, and uh, a lot of people didn't hear about it till a few days after. It was on the uh, UK, one of those UK uh, gaming expo kind of things um, where they had FFG developers and such go on uh, and do a Crucible cast. Um, if people don't know what a Crucible cast is, it's actually uh, the publisher, Fantasy Flight Games, uh, and their uh, organized play and the developers. Um, they have a, was it like a once a month? Or I want to say once a month, once every two months, um, they have a little uh, chat or a little bit of um, an official uh, discussion on YouTube generally where they discuss some news, uh, recent news or like organized play happenings. Um, and we haven't had one in a while, but uh, it was a surprise that uh, we got a Crucible cast 
Uh, and then it wasn't really published until actually this week, uh, where on the Fantasy Flight uh, YouTube channel. Um, have you guys heard anything about that at all? See it being published until two days ago. Not gonna lie, I didn't watch it though. But I don't yeah. know what they talked about. Yeah, I mean, it, if you're if you're interested in KeyForge and the developments on of KeyForge, um, you're not really missing a whole lot. <laughs> this uh, episode, they mainly talked about kind of what they were doing. Um, what the developers were doing and their hobbies and in terms of how they develop um, the game, uh, different cards and different mechanics for Keyforge. So, I mean, if you're looking for news on the game uh, that affects it, the meta and such like that, you're not missing a whole lot. But if you're interested in the actual developers and what they get to do or what they do on the side and get how they get inspiration for the game, um, it's okay. It's a little interesting. It's pretty cool. Um, and as for organized play, it's kind of the same old where, uh, a lot of, uh, countries aren't opened or don't have organized play at this point in time. And the ones that do, they're basically diverting back to, reverting back to the stores themselves, um, and asking the players, you know, to basically reach out to their local store to see what's happening. So not, not a whole lot, not a whole lot, but that is something that's happening in the Keyforge world. Um, and, you know, it's it's an interesting development. Hopefully we get more news from them soon. So on to the main topic for this uh, for this uh, episode. Um, one thing we're going to be talking about is deck evaluations. Um, I wanted to see and pick each person's mind here uh, in terms of how they play some play styles and uh, possibly go into uh, go into the way uh, they each of us think and how we approach the game when either in store or even online, you know, when we play a game. So first off, I just want to, you know, inquire about, you know, play style. So uh, if you ever heard about this, there's different people play differently. And for sure, you know, uh, for myself, I like playing uh, a game where it's a little more cautious, a little more conservative, but also something that would uh, be more disruptive to the opponent, which is kind of fun because then you make people not, sure where you're what's going to happen and then when you do hit them then they they realize like oh my gosh what do i need to do keeps them on their toes so for me if you think about the house dis that's kind of one of my faves um and that fits into my play style of course other houses too but uh just disruption um and just kind of messing messing around with people how about you josh what's your play style like um my play style is fairly simple uh, I like being able to take control of the board. Um, and, you know, when you think of taking control of the board, your initial thought is, yeah, having more creatures than your opponent. But um, I like decks that have a lot of creature control, at least one board wipe, a bunch of spot removal. Um, I do love having key creatures. For example, like Hysteria, controlling the board with two snags is the way to go for me. Those are the types of cards and synergies that I would look for. So, quick, uh, quick, quick, quick thing. Yeah. What's what's uh, Hysteria and what's Snag? Just so our listeners have an idea of, of course, what type of play of like. Yes, so Hysteria is an action card that allows you, well, when you play it, um, all creatures on the board actually go back to their owner's hands. And Snag is a, I believe, a five-power creature from Dis that um, its fight effect is that it uh, the opponent must choose the active house of the creature it bought. So it, it it's it's very controlling in a sense that, you know, 
you play the hysteria, you bring the snags down, they drop some creatures from one house, and then you take them out. Um, you know, so essentially, sorry, I'm rambling, but long story short, what I'm going for is creature control, um, ember control, and a decent amount of generation from raw ember pips. I don't necessarily like to reap much. I find that creatures are meant to fight unless they have a strong reap effect. I'm the opposite player. <laughs> okay, cool. How about you, Dennis? What's your type of play style that you enjoy? <laughs> I feel like it's stayed from set one all the way to set four. Um, set four kind of changed it up a lot, but the overall effect is either it's some sort of control. It's either control of the amber, which is what everybody loves. Not everybody, but a lot of people loves. Like let's say your shadows houses. The secondary type that I like is these, as John mentioned before, either disrupting your opponent, let's say playing creatures that have passive effects, let's say Succubus, which is a three power creature from this that allow that if it stays on the board for one turn, your opponent draws one less card, or Ember Imp, which is your opponent's only allowed to play two cards, stuff like that, some sort of control, just so that they can not run the deck, the, play the deck that it's meant to run. Or the main type that I like is definitely Amber Control, which is like you're stealing some form of stealing from Shadows. Which is like, let's say, your Urchin, which is a creature with play, steal one. Or like the biggest one, the card that I really love is Too Much to Protect, which is steal all of your opponent's Amber but six. And then you follow it up with something else. So that your opponent doesn't forge a key by taking him down to five. Something like that. Okay. Cool. So we got we got we got a bit of creature control. We got a bit of stealing. How about you, Benson? Where's your uh, where do you come from, or where do you usually, I guess, go towards with Keyforge? Well, just like with Dennis, um, my playstyle kind of stayed consistent since Coda or Call of the Archons first set. Um, it's the first card game I officially learned and got more competitive into so that playstyle kind of built off that foundation where it was a race um first to six amber to try to challenge for a key and then first to three keys right so that's the, at the heart of key fours that's what it is my playstyle just revolved around that so coda we all know that it was a lot of amber gener like lots of amber generation a little bit of key cheating and a lot of speed out of logos uh, depending on if you got the right cards i kept those aspects um in terms of my playstyle overall and it obviously had to evolve with uh, different sets being introduced and different components not being where I would have wanted it to be uh, as new interest new sets were introduced and each house had different flavor uh, kind of tying in with my favorite houses I guess at the top the, mo the commonality is untamed we know encoded to be the amber rush house um, and it's kind of changed the shape a bit over the different sets but it's been a it's been one of the houses that my main uh, decks that I use to play competitively has always included. I'm all about speed, getting through cards, getting to the cards that I really need. Because um, I did have a deck back uh, during the Grand Championship, actually the last deck that I pay, played with. It was slow, but it had a lot of tools. But then I came across a super fast rush deck, and I didn't have the answers when I needed it. So that feeling kind of stuck with me and also impacted my play cell as well. And 
now it's just feeling the feeling of being able to go through my deck quickly, pick up the pieces I need, maybe having some archiving and whatnot so I can put it away, stash it for when it's going to really come in handy, um, like uh, like Jumisha Protect, for example, or Interdimensional Deck Graft. Something that stops, uh, something that's rushing really high is one example, or maybe a board wipe, or so on and so forth. Like There's multiple examples, right? There are other components that I definitely like to introduce, but at the end of the day, um, it's about speed and it's about taking initiative. It's about putting things on the board that the opponent needs to challenge, and I think that is a common trend between all of us, where we need we want to make our opponent answer to what we're doing, and then we take initiative, we lead the game, kind of thing. I think yeah, like it's a different shape, but I think at the end of the day, it it does a very similar thing. So. Uh, yeah, I just noticed that after. Uh, luckily, I was last to go, so I got to hear some of what you guys had to say, and I picked up on that. Yeah, I mean, that makes kind of sense in terms of if you do go fast enough, you're basically controlling the pace of the game itself, right? Yeah. Like, holistically, you're, you're, you're forcing the opponent to have to respond to you getting closer to the win condition, exactly. which is in itself a form of control in, in a sense as well. That's right. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, um, so, I mean, it seems like, uh, at least for Dennis and Benson, you guys uh, state a lot of, um, uh, you guys mentioned Coda, or the the first set, and saying how that kind of carried you guys through in terms of your play style from the very first set. Um, With the new sets, though, as, or as sets came out, you know, has, I guess, has your play style changed at all? Um, did you maybe uh, stray away from the specific house you did mention, uh, Untamed for Benson, and then Shadows for Dennis? Like, with the new sets, has any of the new houses perhaps, like, kind of made you kind of switch over or cause some worry for you at all or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so, as I was mentioning with the different sets being introduced and how uh, the, each house kind of had a different flavor... Um, so first set, the Untamed Wash was undeniable, like one of the fastest ones. Second set, we hardly saw anything, but um, I think Sanctum at the time was maybe a bit more uh, like an Ember Generator um, with like uh, free markets where you play it and depending on how many houses are represented on the board, um, I believe with any card, artifacts or creatures, um, mm-hmm. You can get an amber for each house represented. So like that's an and that's, immediate. That's first. a second. That's a second. Uh, second set card though. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. introduced in the second set. I believe it's in the fourth set, fourth set right now as well. Um, yeah. When second came back. Yep. Exactly. Uh, third set. I f- uh, actually don't really remember which house generated the most. Um, I believe it would have been Saurians overall. It's just a different yes. format it came in as. Rather no. than Amber in your pool, it was Amber on the board. So, uh, no. again, like, yeah, so... Uh, like, a uh, new Exalt mechanic that came out, right? Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So, to your, to your question, um, yeah, for sure, the houses I used kind of changed uh, to adapt to that playstyle. Um, but at the same time, the playstyle evolved a little bit as the meta shifted within each set. So, uh, like, first set, we didn't care about the board. Who cares about board wipes? Who cares about whatever? Your reversal deck is a deck that has too many wipes that gave you chains um, with a huge board, but nothing else. Because that didn't work against other coded decks that were fast. Um, But now, it's uh, very different. You need all those pieces. So, yeah, like, uh, some of the decks that are rated really highly for my collection did exactly what Coda does, but 
as the meta stands now, I wouldn't use it competitively because it doesn't have all the tools it needs. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, both adapting from my playstyle to the current meta as well as changing the house or using the different house that suits my playstyle more uh, has happened throughout all sets. Mm -hmm. Okay. So mainly, so at the end of the day, you've still kind of stuck with Untamed as kind of like your way to gain the speed and to... Uh, force the win is that is that it is that correct yep other than the second set i think overall that's been true third set's a little finicky too with the untamed it was uh, kind of shifted more towards orients but uh, overall yeah like this set right now set four untamed's kind of back exactly how i like it so it's definitely one of the houses that i would include in, in my main competitive deck awesome so key frog is in your pocket i hope so <laughs> ideally with two damage pips right because that that's the best one <laughs> yep so um how about you dennis you said that you know from set one you were kind of the go-to with shadows um that was your main uh play style and, and fit into your um play style so has any of them changed at all you know shadows has been uh one of the houses as well with an untamed where it has been in all four sets but has any of the other houses kind of piqued your interest or kind of changed the way you needed to play uh, definitely. Um, I would say from set one to set three, shadows literally stayed the same. Different cards, but it did the exact same thing. Whether it's two different forms of stealing, either pity steal, steal one at a time, or steal a big. Um, first three sets, but as fourth set gets uh got introduced, the ember control, especially my playstyle, literally changed a lot. Mm -hmm. Um. The Ember Control, we're probably going to get into this in future episodes, but the Ember Control is a lot more board-based. Even, even in Shadows, I would say, Ember Control became more board-based. Um, a lot in the fourth set, is the steals are like very dinky, meaning that it's one at a time, or like there's a big trade-off, like let's say Ransack. Mm -hmm. Steal one, and then keep discarding the top of your car, uh, deck until... Um, and repeat it if it's a shadows card again mm -hmm. so you steal again so there's a trade-off but the first three sets literally play a card play a shadows card you automatically steal mm. so um it's a very big shift for me a lot not gonna lie a lot of my decks transcends the first three sets but the fourth set really takes it down mm-hmm yeah, but okay. So I, I just have a question though, because um, for me and the third set, on the, the third set though, yeah. yeah, on the third set there is uh, one of my favorite third set cards uh, from Logos House, the Upgrade Discombobulator. It's back in the fourth set as well, where you know it just straight up denies stealing from the opponent. Like, mm -hmm. how did you like? For me, I have a deck that has two of them, and it's done pretty well for me. And you know, it shuts down stealing right away. Mm -hmm. Of course, unless you can get rid of the creature. Mm -hmm. But, like, how do you, like, uh, it feels like there's a lot of different steel hate coming up, at least for the last two sets. Like, has that worried you at all? Or are you just kind of, like, going going full force into the whole stealing still? It's it's worried me quite a lot, actually, because one of my best decks, I'm sure you guys know where it is. Um, there, if you have at least one or two hate, hate like, steel hate, it's, I wouldn't say it's dead, but I need to find a way to respond to it. Mm -hmm. um, example, let's say Odorak comes out, Sorian card. Capture one, 
if it has an amber, can't steal. So I needed to find a way to get rid of that card and so waste a turn, essentially waste a turn, so that I can set up for a steal. Um, there's a lot more steel hit, which means it's pushing, the mana is pushing shadows out, I would say. I could be wrong, but definitely shadows has changed a lot from set one, two, three, into the fourth set. So my playstyle, I need to shift it a bit. Still haven't found a new playstyle, I guess, that shifts all four sets, but the first three sets I'm fine with. The fourth set, I need to invest a little bit more time and a little bit more money into it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, with the pandemic and and not having a lot of uh, a lot of tournaments and such to actually being able to test out different decks against each other in a real time setting, I think it's a little difficult to uh, identify a, um, a shift in playstyle. If anything, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get more into those uh, situations where we can pit houses against each other for sure so how about you josh in terms of you said you do like the board control um uh and both benson and dennis did mention you know um the first set didn't really have a whole lot it was more like rush steel kind of just mess with things um i guess for you did you where do you find board control coming in in any particular set or is it still here currently or is it strong like what what are your thoughts in terms of how uh, over the course of the four sets board control uh, has played a, a factor, if any? Um, honestly, I think you know board control as a win con uh, as a winning factor has actually grown exponentially, in my opinion. Um, right, exponentially, started, all right. <laughs> yeah, I started off with Age of Ascension, you know, and there wasn't a lot of. Uh, you know, building your board um, as much as there is now in Worlds Collide and and Mass Mutation. There's so much you can do with your board too. There's so much you can do with Captured Ember, moving it to your own pool, for instance, um, taking it to common supply. You know, there's there's uh, ways to almost have like this pseudo steel where you're transferring Ember, like I said, from creatures to your own pool. And, you know, both Worlds Collide and Mass Mutation have just kind of strengthened my kind of philosophy of being able to control the board, whether you are destroying your opponent's creatures through playing removal cards or um, building your own momentum on your side by playing your own creatures. Um, my experience with Coda, because I started with AOA onwards, is, you know, I think it's very simplified as a set. And I didn't find it fun, you know, and most of the games I play for, I play for fun. And that's why board control, um, I'm really glad at where it's going. And I'm really glad at, you know, at what I'm currently seeing with uh, Dark Tidings. But that'll be another conversation to, to have. But yeah, I'm just, all I got to say is uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. So are you more a proponent for big dudes on the board, like those... 12 powered 14 powered creatures 20 powered creatures on the board or are you more of like the elusive kind of dudes where they kind of make it a little more difficult to remove kind of thing like what's what's your swing so yeah shadow is my favorite house thematically because of all the rogues assassins elusiveness skirmish and the steel you know mm -hmm. being deceptive and all that but i think what i love right now is house cheating 
you know um i love being able to manipulate multiple creatures in the same turn that belong to different houses you know cards like um for example subject kirby uh which is a play fight reap star alliance creature that allows me to play creatures of other houses setting myself up for that this turn for example if i played discards this creatures that turn right um, the speed is in my ability or the ability of a deck that I would like to manipulate um, as many components of the board as possible, whether it's artifacts or creatures, all in the same time. Okay. Cool. I mean, yeah, for... And uh, in terms of being able to do that, I guess Skippy Timehog is your favorite card then, right? You'd love <laughs> Skippy Timehog on the other side of the board being dropped on you. Skippy Timehog is a one-power creature. Uh, when you play it, um, the opponent is not able to use any cards on their following turn. Just, just for our listeners to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it is a, it is a great weakness among other things like our opponents, my opponents having their own form of board control. But you know <laughs> what? One Skippy Timehog, I don't think, is going to do a lot. Um, unless you have it early in the game and you're able to drop it um, at a very well-timed play. That's um, true, though. It is, it is a rare card, yeah, so you don't see yeah. it often. You'll probably see just one of it. I've, I've never seen a double Skippy Timehog deck. And, you know, you have a 1 in 36 chance of being able to play that deck throughout the entire game. So I'll have a bunch of... a higher probability that I'll have a board by then. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, thanks for uh, bringing that up in terms of uh, in a tournament, you might only see a certain card once or something like that. Um, going into that, if we say go into a store, um, I want to know, like, what do you guys usually do now knowing that your play styles, what do you guys usually do to figure out um, a deck, right? Um, say for a sealed environment, which is what a lot of us generally like to play. Um, aside from Archon. So let's take Archon out of the picture right now. Uh, just in a sealed environment when we get to a store, um, if you open a brand new deck, how do you guys evaluate it? Like, definitely, um, so if those uh, that are interested in playing uh, organized play at a store, um, do note that outside materials are not um, allowed uh, for evaluation evaluation of a deck. So, like, our resources that we did mention briefly uh, last uh, episode about uh, decks of Keyforge, um, or other types of um, online resources or anything like that is not allowed. So I'm just curious, like, so what do you guys do in terms of just getting a fresh deck, opening it up? What do you guys look for? So I'll give you guys a couple minutes to think about it because I've thought about this a bit. And the way I do things is I just crack open the pack. Um, of course, sleeve it first. But after that, I look uh, for a really base count of how many uh, amber pips are on the deck um just as a quick look um but more importantly for me i look at how many creatures i have in the deck um generally the number that i'm hitting uh, for average is you know 17 or so um if it hits that number uh, then you know if you're a little bit more on the board or a little bit less on the board so basically the uh, creature count artifacts card um, action card count uh and then upgrades is uh, it's, it's a good number that's whatever's left over and then on the side is also knowing how many pips i have um, and from there on, I just mainly, I, I just run with that. And hopefully I count for like one board control and maybe like one piece of artifact control if I have it or not. 
but those are the the kind of sub criterias. So, what do you guys do uh, in terms of cracking open a deck, and how do you guys evaluate at, in a sealed environment? I look for Odo the Patrician. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you look for one That's card. Not me? <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, I'm gonna jump in while I have it in my mind. So when I actually crack open a deck, the first thing I look at is the name, because if it's a funny name, that means I'm gonna win it all. Uh, secondly, <laughs> I like to, like you said. First, look at all the raw amber um, on the deck and then figure out what this deck wants to do in terms of how many creatures I have, so its ability to reap, and its creature control once again. Um, I feel like in a sealed environment, you work with what you have, right? And the only information that you have um, is really what's on the board. So being able to take care of your opponent's board in a sealed environment actually has, holds a bit more weight to it than in an Archon where you're able to see whether whether creature control is all that important, right? Um, so I look for Cree creatures, a number of creatures that I would have, and then I look at the ways that I can either control my opponent's ability to generate through Ember control or control my opponent's ability to gain momentum on the board through creature control. Those are the two main things. I don't really look for artifact control in sealed, um, but uh, but yeah, that's it. Hmm. Yeah, I actually think uh, yeah, being able to control the board in terms, or at least, at least knowing that you have you can hold control over the board in a sealed environment is pretty important. Uh, just as you mentioned, for sure, like you don't really know what's what's gonna happen, um, but for sure, some form of a board should play out to a certain extent for in most games if any so that's that's a pretty good point i want to jump right on this just because you guys mentioned a lot of points that i wanted to go on top of i guess um you said that the way to i the way i evaluate decks it's just and i'm actually also glad the fact that you told us a format just because every a tournament or a game changes based on the format you're playing so in sealed point, um, I want to, the first thing I look for is when I open a deck to see what house combo it has. Because each house combo, at least in my opinion, has a, an ar archetype, meaning that this house combo is going to run generally like this. Or, or if it's, um, let's say a rush example, as Benson mentioned, if it has an untamed, it wants to generate, right? So for me, the first thing I look for is the house combo. And then before I even flip open the Archon card, I try to think is like, how am I going to play this deck? Am I going to play it slow? Am I going to play it fast? Am I going to try to take the board? Well, I don't know yet. So I'm just at least I have a rough idea in my head. You mm -hmm. guys also mentioned the fact that you count pips, you count creature cards, action cards, etc., etc. I do that as well. That's uh, the first thing I definitely do to see whether or not I'm going to rush I'm going to control the pace or I'm going to slow down or I'm going to set you up. The thing that I, when I'm on top of my game, not going to lie, is I, I want to say that because I'm not always on top of my game, is try to play with the opponent as well, especially on a sealed environment. Um, the thing I remembered and when we played a sealed in set two, set two has a lot of combos. Um, the mm -hmm. one big combo there is the Brig, which is your Binate Rupture Interdimensional Graph combo. So, for me, when I played uh, Binate Rupture, which is 
alpha, first card you have to play, you double the amount of amber pool in the opponent and in your pool. So I play that, and then I play XYZ Researcher, which is either archive the top card of your discard pile or the top card of your deck. So I chose to archive Binet Rupture. Point is, I went another step thinking that my opponent, as you guys mentioned, whatever's on the board is the information you have. So I let my opponent think that I would have the brick combo, which I didn't. So when I'm, like I said, when I'm on top of my game, I try to play the set or the meta of the set, especially in sealed, because you don't know what's coming, as you guys mentioned. So that was one of the bigger things that I played during the set, but I actually did not have the combo. So my opponent at that game was just threatened the whole time. So I had control somewhat of the game, but I didn't have a control deck at that point. Interesting. Interesting. So so what happens if you play a newer player who doesn't know the cards necessarily <laughs> or the particular combos? It's You're just throwing things away, huh? But the thing is, I wouldn't have played that if I knew my opponent didn't know that. Okay. My opponent at okay. the time, I don't know. He, he was a pretty good player. I don't know if you remember who he was. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, so basically, you're yeah, as you mentioned, you're playing the player to a certain extent. So, but if you're, but that's, that's knowing that you know the person, but if you walked mm -hmm. into a fresh, a, a fresh environment with not knowing anybody, then you're, I don't know if you want to be doing that, huh? No, I, I would uh, either take the chance of he thinks that, oh, the per he or she thinks that, or I'm just like, I'm just gonna leave it alone. Or, just just or, or even just bring up that possible combo. Be like, hey, you know this set. Like, hey, there's this combo, by the way. <laughs> if I, I have these cards. I <laughs> totally just, like, that. lie out of your teeth. <laughs> oh, I would not do that. <laughs> hey, but no, no one said you can't you can't cross-talk uh, while playing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I'm messing with people's heads. <laughs> all right, all right. How about you? How about you, Benson? How do you, if you were in a sealed environment, Benson, how do you uh, evaluate a deck? Or, or are there any differences in terms of uh, how you would evaluate um, a deck um, when you open up a fresh one? I think everybody's already inputted, like, kind of the core components of what you need to look for in a deck just in general. Um, but I'll say uh, there's maybe, like, two or three levels of appraisal for a sealed environment. Step one is your own deck. Right, like getting to understand what your deck wants to do, what it can and can't do. So without going to the specifics that everybody else has already said, um, that's one part. The other part is understanding the meta, understanding the meta of the set. Because usually for sealed, you're playing within a set. You're not. It's mm -hmm. it's possible, but it's pretty rare that the store sets it up so you have different sets competing against each other. Especially uh, when we've seen certain sets are objectively weaker than other sets. Not to say they don't have a chance, but they just are designed in a way that doesn't stack up to the current meta overall, spanning across all four sets. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm expecting something within a set. So therefore, the second stage is understanding what the meta is for the set, how, what decks within that meta is the strongest, and what your deck has that falls in that. And if I take it one step further, it's a knowledge of the card pool. So this is probably the third tier of um, depth that if you want to go this far, you could. And this will definitely add to your game in a sealed environment where each card is uh, separated into common, uncommon, rare, special rare, right? So knowing the pos probabilities of 
a deck containing those cards, you can make an estimate by looking at your opponent's deck. Okay, these are the three houses. Sure. Like, um, when we look back in Coda, it was very straightforward. You look at a house, you're like, okay, this house wants to do this, ideally speaking. So um, in a random draw for a sealed with only a solo deck, might not matter as much because it's luck of the draw. Within a scenario where you have multiple chances at a deck that you can choose between two or three sealed decks to play with, now you're thinking, okay, they're going to choose a deck that probably uh, that house within that set is going to perform the way it's supposed to perform. So uh, within a CODA situation... It's very straightforward. Uh, Untamed's going to rush. Logos is going to give you a lot of speed, cycle through your deck. This is definitely going dis- to disrupt, and there's a lot of things you're going to need to answer. So, like, all those pieces kind of put together gives you that view of what are you coming up against in this in this tournament, this SEAL tournament. Um, so, yeah, like, um, how, I come up, how I look at the deck is exactly the same. Um, actually... Unlike Joe Dobby or Josh, I probably never look at my name <laughs> until like second or third round. And I'm like, oh, hey, that name is actually pretty good. Um, when my opponent tells me, it's like, oh, you have this this name deck. Um, but yeah, the very first thing, same thing, is the number of Amber Pips. Um, but again, it does change from set to set. So I've noticed like in the very first set, it was all about the number of Amber Pips, how much can it generate? That's the meta. That's what the meta was. Uh, I'll skip forward to the third set where I'm looking for specific cards or I'm looking for a specific house. I unpackage it. The first thing I'm looking at is do I have Brobnar? If I have it, I'm probably pretty sad. Um, if I have Saurians, I've and uh, like the days I got Saurians, Star Alliance logos together. That's that was the triple threat in that set. So not to say that there was unbeatable. It's just if you get the right card pull, that's probably the best combination you could find. Um, it is, but at the same time, I think that, you know, even in the third set, you know, I, I, I had opened a Brobnar once or twice, and, you know, I still think it still works to a certain extent. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I, yeah, I'm not trying to, like, just ignore Brobnar altogether. It's just the majority and, and just sharing the mentality at the time. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, when the set first came out, it was a it was a sad event. Well, you guys remember when I when we started playing third the third third set and literally the first five seal tournaments I played in I always picked up a Brobnar duck. Yeah, no, um, I guess yeah. I mean, and I know what you're talking about though. I mean, the probability of getting certain houses might have a better card pool to a certain extent, right? That's yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, and like it's <laughs> it's not a universal rule. Again, you could have the um, odd one out, like the. Um, those are the words. But anyway, um, so for a sealed event, yeah, that's it's appraise it based off of what my deck can do, doesn't uh, what tools it has, like you guys described, um, understanding the meta of that set, uh, so that you have a better understanding of what your opponent may or may not have within their deck, um, mm-hmm. and in terms of appraising your own deck, how well it fits within that meta. And lastly, is um, the carpool itself and if uh, taking it to the highest level is knowing, hey, you know what, the odds of having a double um, too much to protect is fairly low. Like, not to say it's not possible since in a sealed environment, I, that's what I faced up against. I wasn't yeah, it expecting is a, it. it is a, it's an uncommon, so... Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I mm-hmm. got hit with a double whammy, but hey, those are the... When you play by the odds, that's what happens, right? So uh, that's how I praise this from a sealed perspective, and 
So if we go into a, you know, if you're playing, say, now uh, on the Crucible Online, uh, most of the time I think it's an, it's, I mean, you could, you have the sealed option, but a lot of people most likely play it as an Archon option where you bring your own deck. Um, So in an Archon environment, you do, you are allowed to look at the opponent's deck list. Um, Does anything change here where, I mean, of course, you you know the pip counts, you know uh, what cards are in your deck in an Archon environment because you're bringing that to the environment, to the tournament or the gameplay. So what's one thing that you guys look for in terms of uh, of an Archon environment? Um, for myself, um, I, I'm a big proponent of this. Uh, I've been screaming at these guys since second <laughs> set is artifact control. Um, for me, it's like looking at make sure that uh, whether or not the opponent has artifact control. Um, and of course, being able to have an artifact control piece, right? Because, uh, I don't know, maybe the decks that I play, I have uh, artifacts that are pretty substantial, generally. And if I see that there is no artifact control, I feel like it's like it's open season for me. Once I get that one piece of artifact out, it's like, oh man, if you don't have anything to counter that, I'm going to town. So, is, is there what do you guys do in terms of, uh, of an Archon experience, in terms of evaluation? Is there something that's key for you guys? Dennis? Uh... No, I mentioned it what, like earlier in the podcast. But what's what, what I look for when I'm looking for the, that for that two minute archon uh, exchange evaluation of opponent's deck is I look for what card or what combo is my opponent's deck gonna mess me up with. Hmm. Example: Odak. Is Odak going to come out? Is it going to come out at the right time? Is it going to come out at the wrong time? For me to be able to run my deck. Because it's like... Though when I, I know most of the time when I bring an Archon deck, I know how it runs, I know its weaknesses, I know what it can do. Mm-hmm. So when I'm exchanging an Archon card list with my opponent, it's like, how is my opponent going to mess me up? A lot of the times, there's just one or two cards would mess me up. And if I don't see those cards at all, I just go to town. Like, I just rush, I generate Amber, or I set you up to generate Amber so I can steal it. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the card pool to look at is pretty tough to memorize. There's a lot of cards. There's a lot of things that can happen. But literally also the second layer that's what is the opponent's deck trying to do? Let's say if the opponent's deck is running, how do I counter that? For example, let's say the opponent's deck wants to bum rush, bum rush pips. How do I counter it? But mm-hmm. if the opponent has a board control deck, how do I counter it? Do I hang on to my wipe or not? Stuff like that. Okay. Um, so, you're, so, so you're mainly trying to understand what the opponent's deck's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. And then, and then, and possibly what your possible responses are mm-hmm. in, in gameplay wise before you even start. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Josh, how about you? You're just looking for creatures again, or, or what do you usually do for uh, in, in an Archon environment? Or, no, or the same uh, as you mentioned before. Yeah, to summarize, in an Archon environment, it's it's fairly simple. So I bring a deck that I'm extremely familiar with, obviously, and then I understand my win condition, and then I look at my opponent's deck list and see what are the key cards that could prevent me from that win condition. Um, in addition to that, I look at their win condition. I try to identify what cards uh, or what type 
of game my opponent wants to play? Is it the Amber Rush game? Is it the Amber Control game? Is it the Build a Board and Reap to Victory game? Is it the the Control game, right? Mm -hmm. And I look for key cards that are a threat to me, but I, as I'm internalizing the list, I start to understand what key cards I have that could be a threat to him. And that ultimately determines, or her, and that ultimately determines whether I hold on to certain cards or not, right? Like, for example, Too Much to Protect, or for example, Axiom of Grisk, Board Wipes, um, Steals. These are the things that, you know, my opponent's deck list isn't necessarily going to change my playstyle. It's more going to decide whether I hold on to certain cards um, as opposed to actually playing them. Because I'm a very responsive, impulsive player. I react to what I see. Um, mm -hmm. And then I capitalize on being able to react successfully. Right. So more of a tactical player, yeah? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Got it. Cool. Anything to add, Benson? Or are you uh, in the same boat? <laughs> yeah, in the same boat. I don't think I could have said anything else or anything better than what's already been said. Okay. Yeah, so it seems like uh, everyone's, uh, once you get into the game, uh, I guess for the sealed environment, you know, it's a little easier just to play. And then I think in the Archon environment where you should be a little more familiar with the game, I think it seems like card knowledge or card pool knowledge is, uh, is a very big factor in that. So it can help you identify what the cards are and possible modes of play. Um, and of course, you know, Keyforge, there's so many cards. Um, it's it's difficult to understand all the different modes of play, but at least you can hone in on some key cards and and basically use that to your advantage. Uh, that's that's the general kind of vibe that I'm kind of hearing uh, from all of us here. So, I mean, there are multiple ways to play KeyForge, um, and what we've mentioned are just some of the very basics. Um, hopefully, uh, in a future episode, we'll go dive deeper into these uh, discussions and possibly even start um, identifying different houses and possibly how you guys can understand each different house. You know, you, you did mention, or some of our guys mentioned that, like, oh, there might be a house combo or something, right? And knowing, like, you know, Benson's playstyle, where he loves Untamed, he loves the Rush, right? Um, or if you go get a Shadows, uh, a deck with Shadows, you might understand that your your idea might be to kind of steal or uh, mess with people so um hopefully we have uh well more episodes are coming down the road um any of you guys want to have any uh shout outs or anything in terms of um in terms of keyforge or anything upcoming for the week so far um i'm recording i might be actually recording a deck that i sold to someone in sweden and he actually has a tournament, um, and he's entering that deck into a tournament this Sunday, which is October, what is that, like October 16, 17? Unsure. Okay, something like that. Okay. Yeah, something so sometime like that. in October, mid-October, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So um, it'll be on YouTube, so it'll have its permanence. Um, feel free to check it out. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Any guys, I hear... Uh, Dennis, you're doing some sort of like deck opening something coming up. Is that what you're planning to do soon? Uh, I'm still waiting to buy some decks. So true, I'll the supply shortage, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm just gonna stream, try to look for decks, evaluate, uh, the usual stuff, trying to see if there's any good stuff that I can have. Um, like I mentioned before, because of the shift of the meta, 
I'm trying to cover my whole bases to see whether or not there's a deck that transcends all four sets. So something like that. Just trying to mm -hmm. look for that. It's gonna be tough, but we'll see. Okay. Cool. Benson, you have anything upcoming or for Keyforge at all? Potentially. Uh that one display box that I have is still sitting right there behind me. Um so I might do some unboxing stuff as well, just just for fun. Um again. Things are in the works. Uh, nothing to really talk about yet. Okay. Awesome. So it sounds like our all our listeners are going to have a bunch of content coming through, at least something for them to check out um, until you guys uh, tune in for our next episode of Keys to ESP. So once again, this is John, Benson, Dennis, and Josh. Um, we're... <laughs> Josh. We're ESP, or Team ESP here, and uh, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast, our second episode, um, Keys to ESP. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, feel free to email us at extrashards at gmail.com. Um, we welcome uh, all communication to us. Uh, if you have any questions uh, about any of us, uh, general, general Keyforge questions, um, topics, or just want to say hi, we welcome... Uh, uh, you know, you guys reaching out to us uh, just to say hi. Um, so until then, um, this is John, um, and uh, happy forging, everybody. Bye, guys. Happy forging. Happy forging. See ya.